Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Hi, Max. Hi, audience. Also joining us is Jeremy Greco, better known on Royals Review as Hokias. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? I am living long and prosper. Oh, boy. Uh, so we're going to talk about a little bit about the, the week of Royals baseball, and later on uh, we asked fans if they had and readers if they had any mailbag questions, just kind of a potpourri of, of things to talk about, and so we chose some of the, I think, more interesting ones. But first, Sean, let's talk about Jorge Soler. Um, He's having an interesting season in that he's hitting a lot of home runs, but you kind of pumped the brakes on getting too excited about his season with an article today talking about his value. You want to tell us a little bit about why Jorge Soler maybe isn't quite the complete ball player that some people maybe imagine he, he might be or could be? Yeah, I mean, I think most of it's going to come around the basis of, uh, where home runs are today. And so there's no doubt that home runs are the most valuable single event that a player can do, obviously. Um, but they also have a relative value. Uh, you know, every single year, each, each, each batted ball of something compared to every other year, you know, uh, prosperous, uh, a home run is worth less, obviously. Uh, but if you go back to, you know, the forties and the fifties and the sixties, uh, where home runs weren't as common, well, you know, a home run is worth more. Um, so in the age of a lot of home runs, I mean, the home runs are still important. And that's what Jorge Soler has basically done best um, this year is hit home runs. And there's value in hitting home runs, obviously. Um, the problem is, is that his value, his best source of value comes at a time where that's has the smallest amount of value. Um, the third smallest um, is what I've uh, found. Uh, so, that's that's kind of the crux of it is that you know Solaire really adds one thing it's the ability to hit home runs um we talk about i think occasionally his low obp um it was 303 entering into this podcast um and that's just uh what is it 22 322 i think is the league average so call it 19 points below league average uh, and then, you know, no defensive value. Uh, and even when he does play defense, you know, I saw that he was the third worst right fielder by defensive runs saved since 2016 or fifth worst or something, but bottom five. Um, and so really you're just looking at his main skill and, you know, he strikes out 30% of the time, but when you wrap everything up, he's about a 110 ish so far WRC plus hitter, um, which for a DH is basically like league average, uh, hitting wise. Obviously, there's DHs that add some value, um, and there's DH, there's guys who DH but also play uh, the field of it. So Solaire is really just you know at this point a pure 
DH who only you know hits home runs, and that's great and that's got value. But uh, I think if he was a guy who only hit doubles, wouldn't be quite as exciting. Um, even if doubles were worth the exact same weight as home runs, just because people don't get that excited for doubles, but people get excited for home runs naturally. And so you see a guy hitting maybe forty home runs in a year, you go, "Well, this guy has to be an incredible player." And because long just home, home runs too. Would you say? And yeah, they're long, they're long home runs. I mean, they're taking exactly. shots too. Exactly. So he's definitely more exciting than maybe his numbers might play out. Um, and you know, and I didn't want the piece to come off as he was valueless. He obviously has some value. I think Fangraphs had him as an. Um, 0.8 wins so uh you know could be a league average player uh over the course of a year if you just kind of double what he's at and maybe give him a little extra uh, you're looking at a guy who you know 300 obp um 40 home runs and you had a good list t- today of guys that have kind of done that the Pedro, uh chris carter um paul Mark trumbo who else was on your list there uh the old friend mike jacobs he was a guy okay. who hit 30 home runs had a low on base percentage for the the florida marlins there, you know, and there's some good hitters on that list too. But, yeah. Um, but 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 a lot of those good players were actually pretty good defensively, where whereas Solaire isn't. Yeah, that's the big catch too. You know, if he played some defense, if he was if he was a league average right fielder, it'd be worth a lot more. But he's just so bad, and and that's a consensus opinion too. It's it's one of the times which I think are often, but it's one of the times where really the the eye test and the stat test both match up. So for the year, Soler is hitting 245, 303 on base, like like you say, in a 520 slug. He has 19 home runs in 72 games. If you prorate that out to a full season, that's 42, 43 home runs, which would be the you know that would set the Royals record. But as you say, of course, this is a an era in which players are hitting more home runs than ever, and so like 42 home runs now isn't quite as impressive as like in 1988 when like 36 home runs would have led the league. Um, and you know I. I I don't. Th- I think what some people maybe mistook from your piece is that Jorge Soler is bad, and I think that's far from what you were saying. I mean, yeah. say Jorge Soler is, is a league average DH, and there is there is value in that. I mean, he's he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He is hitting home runs. Now it'd be you know better if he was getting on base more. If he was a little bit better of a base runner, uh, but he kind of you know you kind of have to deal with what he is, and that is a guy that hit its home runs. The 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 decline in walks is a little bit of surprising because he has. Traditionally in his career, been a guy that has been able to draw walks. Are, are you noticing anything about why he's not drawing those those free passes this year? Yeah, um, and it's something we kind of pointed out a bit in the comments as well, that um, he made a choice, or he and um, Kelly choice, or Terry Bradshaw uh, made a choice um, to swing more, to be more aggressive. And it's the same kind of choice that Yon Mankata made with the White Sox this year. And you could see if you put both of their kind of um, stats next to each other, you'll see kind of a linear drop in walk rate due to a linear in and um, and, and swinging um, or swing percentage. And so that's the big thing is that, you know, you can't swing more and walk more typically. Um, there are guys obviously that run highs that also walk with Merrifield, I think is actually one of them. Uh, but it's very, very hard to both swing more and walk as much as you were. So if there's a Solaire that exists where the binary choice is either I'm going to swing a lot and hit home runs or I'm going to swing less, walk more, but hit less home runs, that's the choice because it's very, very hard to both swing more, walk more, and hit home runs according to kind of this newer Solaire we've we've found. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I mean, there's a there seems like a pretty clear evidence. Sometimes you can pull up 
fake whatever you want out of it, but we know he changes his approach and we've got, you know, evidence of that. And so that's, that's exactly kind of what we've been looking for. And, you know, we talk about kind of the future and, and, and Solaire has got a through 2021. Uh, I know you and I have kind of discussed whether or not he's under club control past that since he would not yet be eligible for free agency. So he might be under club control through 2022. I believe that is the case. He is, I believe he is under club control yeah. through 2022. But just you know, in, in, right. yeah. yeah. But but you know, at the very least, he, the Royals have him for the next two years. Um, you know, they're they're trying to be maybe competitive by 2021, 2022. But but Jeremy, if if he's, you know, there's been some talk about if if the Royals aren't competitive in that cycle, maybe they should trade Solaire since he's not really part of the future. Not really, also not really part of what they're trying to do now is being a a fast defense uh, oriented team. So there's been talk like maybe we should trade him. But if he's if his value isn't really as great as you might think a 19 home run, you know, through 72 games hitter might be, is it just better for the Royals to just hang on to him and he has more value to them than maybe he does in the trade market? And what's kind of your sense on what the trade market for him might, might even be? I, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of difficult because on the one hand, I want to say you trade anyone who will get you anything, because anyone who gets you anything for 2022, because it seems less and less likely that they'll be competing by 2021, is better than what you have in 2019. Because nothing in 2019 is going to fix this team. That you you sign like some if they'd signed Keuchel and uh, and what's his face the closer Craig Kimbrell Craig Kimbrell that guy. If they signed them, then you know maybe they could avoid a hundred losses. That's that's kind of the point they're at right now. But at the same time, we've already seen a designated hitter, a designated hitter only, um, actually somebody who can cover first base a little bit, and I don't know how good he is at it, but you know whatever, um, traded, and he brought back. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Basically, nothing in his trade, didn't he? It was one prospect. And they had to pay most of his salary. Yeah, you're talking about Encarnacion, right? Is that not what I said? What did I say? Oh, I didn't hear you say the name. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Ed, um, Edwin Encarnacion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they got a guy that the Mariners traded a little bit ago that basically got uh, released. But yeah, I mean, they got nothing back. And, um, yeah, and you're they're right. paying a lot of his salary, by my understanding, too. Yeah, I think Mariners tipped it a bit. But, yeah, Yankees are covering a lot of – yeah, and Arcadacion can play first base a little bit for for kind of older and bigger as he kind of seems he is. He's, yeah, he's he's got a little better defender than he might look. So I for Jorge Soler, you might not be able to get anything, even being younger and with more club control. Yeah, and I'm thinking about the the recent yeah. track record of guys, even younger guys that have been able to be three, you know, thirty, forty home run hitters, but can't really do anything else. I mean, like the Tampa Bay Rays had C.J. Cron who is a 30 home run hitter and he's a first baseman, not a great first baseman, but he is a first baseman can play the field and they just non tendered him rather than pay him like five, $6 million through arbitration. And they didn't even, you know, I don't know if there was much of a trade market for him or what, but they said, we don't even want to deal with him. And Sean, you mentioned in your piece, Chris Carter, the young at the time, young first baseman, uh, 2014 led the league in home runs with the Brewers hit 41 home runs. They had three more years of club control with him and rather than you know look to trade him or off tender him a, a deal through arbitration, they said we're done with him. We're, we you know he doesn't have that much value yeah. to us. And they were also kind of you know to be fair, they were a little bit loaded at the first base position. Didn't really have a, a place for him the next year. But but the, the, the 
point is there wasn't really a market, a trade market, for a guy that hit 41 home runs. And so, yeah, I, you know, Solaire is young. I think his ability to get on base in the past may generate some interest, but he also has a big-time injury risk as well. And so I don't, yeah, I don't know if there's going to be much of a trade market if they do try to trade him. Sean, what is that kind of your? I, yeah, I that's kind of your consensus as well. Yeah, and I think another guy that um, is worth bringing up is Mike, our very own Mike Mustakis, who yeah. similar-ish um, got power low. I mean, I think he's a better OBP than um, Solaire, but kind of a lower OBP guy. But obviously, Mustakis can play third base fairly well mm-hmm. uh, and doesn't have. You know, he has an injury history, but it was, you know, kind of a one-time thing. It wasn't uh, chronic like Solaire. And, I mean... But there were concerns well, about his bad body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it would and, seem, I mean, which went, now seems silly, but yeah. Yeah. And he went basically without a suitor for however long it was, you know, in 2018. And then had, his, had a good season in 2018. Still couldn't find much in 2019. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think if you traded Solaire, um, I don't know what you get. I think... I mean, if if you traded him to let's say like a top ten organization, uh, farm system wise, um, I mean, to be realistic, we know Moore is going to go after you know a guy in Double A AA or Triple A. Um, but let's just say you're not you know stuck to that constraint. Um, you know, I think if you looked at a top ten organization, uh, farm system wise, you could probably get like a ten to fifteen ish. Maybe I could even see maybe barely cracking the top ten. Um, you know. But especially since inflated prices as the summer moves on, but it's going to be underwhelming. Um, it's going to be less than what he was traded for. You know, uh, obviously you know, he has less team control, but um, it seems like it's going to be considerably less than what he was traded for uh, when the Royals acquired him for Wade Davis. And I know it's probably got to be kind of frustrating or confusing for some fans because I know we've probably been saying, you know, we've been saying, you know, the Royals need to get power. The Royals need to get power. And, and now the Royals do have a power hitter, and, and we're saying, well, yeah, he's actually not that valuable. But the thing is, like, in today's game, like, power is, like, the bare like, – that's, like, the baseline now. It's like yeah. you need to have a guy that at least does that and also does all these other things, play the field well, get on base, you know, uh, play multiple positions is now an asset, uh, you know, run the base as well. Yeah, if they, wanted, if they wanted to go get Paul Goldschmidt, no one's going to complain about that. Right. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know – it doesn't – everybody wants a power hitter, but, you know, finding cheap power is fairly easy to do. And historically, it's been, you know, pretty fairly easy to do when you look at guys like Pedro Alvarez and Mike Jacobs that uh, – Ryan Sheely's Hearn. Um, now, all of them are obviously 110 or so WRC plus hitters, but um, – Guys who hit for power and don't walk and can't really play the field. I mean, the minor leagues are well. With those look at two guys in the last six, eight months that have been acquired through uh, waivers and, and minor trades. Luke Voigt for the Yankees was acquired for like some oh, yeah. fringe left-handed reliever from the Cardinals. <laughs> and G-Man yeah. Choi, who's not a huge power hitter, but he can get you, you know, 10, 20, 15, 20 home runs a year, was claimed off waivers from the Brewers. So yeah, they're just there are guys just kind of out there swimming uh, in in 30, you know potential 20, 30 home run seasons. You know the thing is when they, when like you say when when there's so many home runs being hit, home runs are cheap. You can find lots of guys that can hit home runs because the ball's probably juiced. Um, you know, so the guys that have that ability need to be able to do something more than that. And and right now Soler is not doing it. I still think he has the ability to draw more walks. I, I'm curious to see if he takes a more patient approach because um, you know he because he's hitting so many home runs, pitchers may want to pitch around a little bit more, especially when there's not really much else in that lineup right now. Uh, and so I'm kind of curious to see what adjustments he makes in the second half and if yeah. pitchers adjust to him as well. One 
one thing I, I I feel like I've seen with him this year is um, I know he got thrown out of a game last week, but I feel like he's argued a lot of balls and strikes this year. Yeah. And I wonder if that might be working against him uh, with the umpires uh, possibly not giving him any kind of benefit of the doubt and, and calling strikes on anything close. Yeah, that could be. Uh, and then, and, uh, yeah, like it's <laughs> – it's it's been a while since he's been on the field this long, so mad at cut the strike zone and how it's changed. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> hopefully that's something he can get ironed out. Um, but you know, speaking of power, let's turn to uh, another power hitter for the Royals that, unfortunately, this year is not hitting for as much power, and that's Ryan O'Hearn. Uh, last year, with a flourish, hit 12 home runs in his first 44 games at the end of last year, but this year has really struggled, hitting 188 through his first 56 games, just six home runs. Uh, still drawing a fair amount of walks, 25 walks, a 333, or, or sorry, but just uh, with his low batting average, that's only a 286 on-base percentage. Uh, and so this last week, he was he was demoted down to Omaha. The team brought up uh, Jorge Bonifacio. Uh, it sounds like a temporary move just for a couple days while until Hunter Dozier is ready to come back. And Sean, I know you've been a big Ryan O'Hearn supporter uh, for a long time, and um, you know he, he, he hit so well last year. What, what's going on with him this year? What's What's... Why is he struggling so bad after he looked so so uh, uh, like an awesome thirty home run uh, power hitter last year? Yeah, I mean, part of it's probably just kind of the flukiness of one hundred and seventy plate that he got. Um, but uh, you know, this year there's a little bit of bad bad on balls in play, bad luck. That's at two twenty five. Um, you know, it he's a slower guy. And he's hitting you know some ground balls not a, a ton of them but you know usually that's a bad recipe um just in general um he's got almost a 50 percent ground ball rate um and you know for a guy who has fairly slow run times um you know he's not going to beat at that so that that explains a little bit the the babbit but it doesn't you know fully explain it um i think we have noticed kind of anecdotally that he's had some uh kind of harder hit outs uh but i don't remember and i'm looking it up right now i forget where he ranks in the league when it comes to like exit velocity and i uh, looks like yeah 71st percentile um so he's up there he's above average in that um uh, average ish the 60th percentile on hard hit percentage uh so i mean he's hit the ball hard i think there's a little bit of bad luck in it he's also in i think i think this was the big worry um he's been terrible against left-handed um and he still faced him so I don't think it would hurt uh, he better against right-handers but you would assume a left-handed hitter would you know be better against right um and so i wonder if he is a good candidate uh to do some sort of platoon split um and you know it's never necessarily been the royals thing but i think that's probably what's best for him uh jeremy you know O'Hearn's a guy that uh, i think a lot of royals fans would like to see kind of take that first base position and solidified especially with you know there's not a lot of options in the minors right now with nick prado struggling so badly uh, and he's even if he turns around, he's, it's going to be a couple more years till he's ready. Uh, is O'Hearn's? Do you think O'Hearn's kind of missing out on his opportunity here? Uh, you know, because we could see maybe Hunter Dozier move over to first base, and they've got Kelvin Gidier as a third. What's what do you what do you think the future's uh, you know the infield alignment's going to be? I mean, is, is O'Hearn part of the future plans for the Royals? I think I think they've got to give him one more shot. Um, I, I wonder, I know he was hitting into some bad luck earlier this year. Um, I, Sean was just looking up his hard hit balls and stuff, but that they, those numbers were higher 
earlier in the year where he was hitting the ball harder and he was still having trouble getting on base. Um, so I wonder if there's not an element of, of uh, you know, we, we've seen before with guys like uh, Mike Bustock has talked about this in 2014, uh, where, you know, the numbers are just, you look at the scoreboard and you're like, holy crap, that's my batting average. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder if they kind of demoted him to give him a fresh line and let him try and rebuild some of his confidence. It's not helping that, you know, the rest of the offense, the, the, the top of the offense kind of stopped producing and the bottom of the offense is not produced at all this year at any point. So, um, I, I feel like there's a, there's a pretty good chance that he's, he's probably been pressing lately. And I, I think they maybe demoted him to try and get him, get him some confidence and then let him try and come back up. But if, if he fails on a second try, then, then he's, that's going to be it. He's done. Um, I don't think he's going to get a lot of chances. I'm not sure how high they were on him as a prospect to begin with. It seemed like they, uh, you know, they went out and got Lucas Duda last year rather than give him or Dozier a real opportunity to win that first base job. So um, if, Gutierrez keeps hitting well at AAA, and Cuthbert has been doing. Is is Cuthbert still hitting well? He was hitting well. Yeah, I think he's, um, he's, he's performed pretty well in his opportunity. So uh, Cuthbert and Dozier can both play third and first, at least allegedly. So um, yeah, Cuthbert's still hitting pretty well. So if they're hitting and O'Hearn gets one more shot and blows it again, then uh, they're going to walk away from him because Cuthbert's younger. Um, by a year or two, and uh, Dozier has been, you know, the superstar, and he he didn't. Re- I expected him to slow down a little bit. I expected him to do better than he was because we talked about this at some point, um, either on the blog or in podcast, where he was hitting the ball really hard right at people, and and uh, a lot of us thought, okay, he's gonna break out and he's gonna get some good hits here again. But I, I, I don't think any of us expected it to be quite that good, and he hasn't really slowed down either. So, would I would I surprise you if I told you that Ryan O'Hearn is actually one year younger than Chesler Cuthbert? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, but I do agree that I don't think he's uh, like their kind of first baseman necessarily, mostly because he's not like a skilled defender at first base, or at least doesn't look very smooth at first base. And I think you're right. Like this, the fact they picked up Duda last year. Not only that, but they brought Duda back as insurance this year in case I think in case O'Hearn didn't hit, and now they're kind of in the situation where they're in where they need to play Duda because O'Hearn is struggles and and needs to be demoted. Um, so I guess that transaction makes a little more sense now. Uh, not that I necessarily agree with it, but but I I can see why they wanted to bring Duda back as insurance. But uh, but yeah, I I I think I feel, feel like he needs to kind of get his career back on track. I think there is a lot of potential there. A couple weeks ago, Alex Duvall on our site wrote a piece about why he didn't feel like at the, that time O'Hearn deserved a demotion, even though he was struggling. Uh, and he pointed out, yeah, the, the ground ball rate that I think Sean mentioned, um, but also that he was kind of struggling on pitches outside on the outside corner. And, you know, baseball is a lot about adjustments. And, I, you know, we talked about this before, but, you know, he got off to such a hot start last year, but pitchers didn't really know him. You know, they, he was just this guy that came up from AAA. And now there's a book on him. They've got video on him. Uh, you know, I don't know how extensive is the minor league tape is on guys, but but they definitely have great a lot of video on him now, and they've they've been able to study him and see what his tendencies are, see what his you know his hole the holes in his swing are, and they've exploited that. Or you know, he, and he, he hasn't made the counter adjustments. So we'll have to see if he can make those adjustments. Uh, it seems like 
you know, elevating the ball maybe a little bit more could help. Um, and that's where development and coaching comes into play. And we'll see if uh, Terry Bradshaw and the Royals minor league coaching staff can kind of get him back on track. But it, it would be nice to get that solid, you know, 20 to 30 home run hitter who can draw walks, uh, play first base. Uh, you know, like we said, home runs are cheap, but but you, you at least need to have a guy, especially at the power traditional power positions, to be able to hit that with that kind and, of power. And he brings he brings walks too, which mm-hmm. is something Jorge. If Jorge Soler was walking like Jorge Soler had always always walked before, we'd be having a completely different conversation about Soler's value. So, um, oh, and O'Hearn is still walking, so if he can bring the power back, then right. that's something. What I'd really like to see from O'Hearn is I'd like to see him start beating that shift. Because mm-hmm. they're they're shifting the the heck out of him, and if he could hit hit a few more ground balls over to the left side, it seemed like he was kind of starting to do that. Um, but if he could do that, then that's going to open up the right side, and even when he does hit the ground balls, um, he should get a few more hits that way. Well, Mike Mustakas was demoted in, in like May of 2014, and uh, he started going the other way after that. So maybe career took off. So maybe Ryan O'Hearn, maybe this demotion will kind of wake him up and, and make him. Uh, force him to make some adjustments as well as well so we'll uh hopefully we'll see him back in the major leagues before very long well we were starting to hit the dog days of summer a little bit so we thought we kind of open things up to the uh, readers the loyal readers of royals review and ask them about uh if they had any questions just they wanted to ask us we you know anything they wanted to ask at all uh so we p- kind of picked some of the the best ones or at least the ones we thought would, would produce at least a decent discussion so let's see what the readers have to say this is from Taco Salazar, you probably guys know him on Twitter. He's always arguing with people. Uh, he asks, why did Dayton Moore think this team would actually compete for the second wild card? Does he even try anymore, or did he just mail it in after he got his ring? Sean, what do you think? Did this team actually think? And we saw in that Ken Rosenthal article a couple weeks ago, they they were they thought maybe they were in the hunt for the second wild card. Did, did, did they really think that, or is that just you know something they were telling their players? Uh, first off, shout out to Taco. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like we talked last podcast about um, over, not overpaying, but giving Bobby Wood Jr. full slot. We talked about the kind of the the Royals culture, and I think that's somewhere also ingrained in um, Dayton Moore and you know Piccolo and Goldberg. The that idea, the the idea of you know we never go out to purposely lose and. You know, I, I think most GMs, for the most part, will also say they don't got to purpose to lose. But um, you know, they're not all going to be as open as Jeff Lunau was with the Astros, who were straight up was like, "Oh yeah, no, we're trying to lose." Uh, so I think I think that's part of that Royals culture is that you know they're optimistic, and I think they see okay, we've got a really good. We got a lot of speed, which is one of their favorite things. Uh, they got good outfielders. Um, should have good defense. They have had good defense. So I think that's what they mainly saw. And they. Um, we know they put a lot of emphasis uh, in 14 and 15 of the idea of kind of making the other team try to make mistakes. Uh, and so I think that's really kind of what it comes down to, as well as, you know, being a terror on the base paths, what they were trying to do. So I think, yeah. Um, now, maybe the second I think they I think that comment was more so like they feel like they have a shot at the second wild card if things break right. Not like, oh, we really do think we're second wild card contenders, like, oh, straight up, uh, you know, that's our median outcome. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just part of their the Royals kind of culture is that that's just they're they're never going to admit that they that they think they're not going to be good necessarily. Yeah, and there was like a comment in um, Sam Mellinger had an article I think in the last week where he talked about um, like 
some guys starting to lose their focus a little bit. And he said, you know, that's like that's a result of kind of when you're losing so much and no one's really being held accountable. Like you start to lose your focus a little bit. And so, um, you know, I kind of get that. He's like, you want to motivate them to say, hey, look, we're trying to win as many games as we can. We may not win the World Series this year, but but you guys still need to be focused and try to win as many games. And, you know, dangling that second wild card, like, hey, we still got a chance at this, which at the time they were at like only like seven games back because it was very early in the year. Um, and, and also in fairness, like, I, you know, the wild, no, no teams are like, it's like the wild card is like super unattainable for any team that's kind of hanging around 500 right now. Like the, I think the Texas Rangers at the time of that article were only, you know, a few games better than the Royals. And, you know, they, they've gotten pretty hot since then. And they're, kind of in the second one they are in the second wild card i think they're half a game out of the wild card right now so like that that could have been the royals i think if if things had everything had gone right and and they had just kind of played and been kind of lucky uh but unfortunately you know (laughs) things went completely opposite direction so i I do kind of get that so um i don't know about you two but i i've always as a fan had a tendency to to look at things with royal blue glasses i guess you would call it where uh, I, and you'll see this with other commenters too, where you know you'll just give a series, a whole series of ifs, if this yeah. and if this and if that, then we'll compete. And sometimes I feel like the Royals front office does the same thing, but then they just announce, yeah, we're going to compete for the second wild card now, or we hope to compete for the second wild card now, without you know the other commenters coming in and saying, man, that's a lot of ifs. But the thing and is, it actually ha- it actually worked one year. <laughs> that's true, and and I, I, on the one hand, it brought us the 2014 wild card game, which stands as one of my greatest memories of all time, and will will always be one of my top memories. I the 2014 wild card game to me is is worth more than the actual World Series win. That's how important that game was for me. But um, on the other hand, I I did a couple of articles last year where I looked at, um, and this goes to the second half of the question, uh, whether Dayton Moore is mailing it in after he got his ring. I looked at some of the moves Dayton Moore has made before the comp- before they started competing, while they were competing and after, and tried to evaluate not only like was this a good did this work out, but like was there an obviously good thought process behind it. And I generally found not really just everything worked in 2014 and 2015. So I don't, I don't think he's mailing it in anymore or mailing it in now. I just think he was never all that good, and he got extremely lucky in 2014 and 2015. Well, I'll I'll, I'll defend him a little bit and say that maybe he was really good for where baseball was at that time, and that what his formula for winning was exactly what where baseball was at that point in time. But it's you know four or five years later, and the game has changed quite dramatically since then. And look, just like an old a ball player, you know, is good one year, and three late years later he's kind of washed up. I think that can happen to you know anyone. I mean, I, that can happen to me for me in my job. You know, I'm yeah. I'm constantly having to learn new things to keep up with you know what's going on in my industry. And and I think the Royals, Dayton Moore, and everyone in the front office needs to kind of do the same thing. And if if they're not keeping up with that. Then the game's eventually going to pass them by, and they're going to become, you know, not, you know, obsolete. Just, 2015, especially, it just felt like he hit on every single thing he did. Mm-hmm. He said, "Oh, let's try Kendris Morales. He was terrible last year, but we'll bring him in," and it worked. Edinson Volquez, it worked. Chris Young, it worked. 
you know, everything he did worked and now nothing he does works. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think there's a difference in his skill or his ability. I think it's just, and, and I, I'll give you that there's probably some bad luck because he's, I liked the Boxberger signing, for example, and that's not worked out well at all. Um, but I don't. I, I really don't think he's just mailing it in. I just don't think he was. He was probably never. He was. He's not as bad as he looks now, but he was never as good as he looked in 2014 or 2015 either. It's, it's probably just reckoning from all that royal devil, devil magic. You know, you gotta mm-hmm. sell your soul to the to the to the devil. Um, let's go to Michael Huckins, uh, a loyal reader and follower on Twitter. How many seasons away are we from seeing these young minor league pitchers? In the big leagues, and I think he means the Jackson Coar, the Brady Singer, Chris Bubik, Daniel Lynch. We've already seen Singer reach Double A. Sean, when do you kind of expect us to see some of those guys make their major league debut and maybe kind of sticking in the big leagues? Uh, shout out to Mike. Um, yeah, uh, I mean Singer is going to be the most likely one. He's already in Double A. Um, kind of hit a rough go in the first whatever it is, twelve innings. Um, but he's going to be the most likely to be first. Uh, if only because you know, not only is he in Double A, but also he's the first, uh, the very their very first pick, and so um, that's a good bump for anybody to make the majors quicker than most, um, just because of kind of the quote unquote prestige that comes with that. So um, I think you could see. Uh, let's reason through this. So he's going to spend the rest of the year Double A. Um, even if if he got up to a very very hot start, just dominated for the next few months. I mean, for like the next month or two, then maybe. Very, very outside chance that he would be he would go to AAA just for a very short time, uh, um, unlikely. But that's you know that's the wild scenario. So you'd see him in AA for the rest of the year, um, depending on how it goes. If it goes very poorly, maybe he warms back up in AA again next year, goes to AAA. But um, in all likelihood, given you know any kind of disaster injury, he's probably starting next year in AAA. Um, and then anybody that's in AAA is an injury away from being called up. Um, we can pretty much rule out the first 15 days of the season. He's not going to get called up, but any days after that, uh, I think you could see him. So there's a realistic scenario for 2020 for Singer. Um, I wouldn't bet on it, but that's the most. There, there's a there's a decent chance of that happening at least. Uh, Lynch is injured. He's going to probably finish the season in high A, um, just kind of hang out for a little bit. So it would just seem he's going to finish in high A, A, B, C's double A. Um, and then same thing with Kowar. Kowar might get the bump up to double A. You know, he's going to spend the rest of the year in double A. There's no chance he's going to triple A. So if you wanted to be optimistic 2020, if you wanted to be more realistic 2021, might make the most sense and that follows the pretty typical path uh for college guys uh signed in 2018 to you know promoted to the majors and you know sometime in two and a half ish years later um so i think that makes this i think that's probably about when you could see him 2021 at the most likely scenario we have the uh, trade deadline coming up and so kr mcclucky uh wants to know is Whit merrifield still a royal at the start of the season Jeremy, we'll start with you. Is is Whit Merrifield going to be in the Royals' opening day lineup in 2020? Uh yeah. I I don't I don't see the if the Royals didn't trade him last offseason, I just can't I can't see them trading him now. No matter I mean the team was bad last year, the team's going to be bad this year. There's 
if they didn't think that the team was going to be bad enough to justify trading him, I just don't, I don't see what the difference is. And the longer they hold on to him, and now that they've given him a guaranteed contract, um, he probably wasn't going to get much more. I think that's what we determined. Didn't you do a, a breakdown, Sean, on uh, how much he was likely to make if he'd just gone through the arbitration process and it wasn't going to be much different? Yeah, and I mean, more all but confirmed it that um, it was kind of offhand, but he was he was interviewed maybe a day or two ago at mm-hmm. some camp, and he basically said like, yeah, I mean, uh, Merrifield. I think he used the term marketable, um, right. but you know, he was more. I, I take that as he was kind of more valuable pre-deal, um, right? As opposed to now, if he if he just you know suddenly fell off the table because he got. Because you know the aging curve comes for everyone eventually, then you know they could they could cut him with one or two arbitration years left. But now they have to pay him no matter what if the if they trade for him. So there's he's less valuable to other teams, and he's he's getting older. And and sure he's he's turns out that he's as good as as he looked, but for how long? And and I think everyone's going to look at him and say, okay, yeah, he's good. But the aging curve comes for everyone. So how much do we want to pay for him? And and I don't I don't think it's going to happen. There's just not. He doesn't have as much value as to anyone else as he does to the Royals. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. He's actually so he's at 1.8 wins right now. Um, and I noticed this earlier. He's at a 119 WRC. So last year he was at worth 5.2 wins. Now he's at 1.8. And when I reference wins, I'm talking about Fangraphs. Um, he had a 120 WRC plus last year, 119 this year. So spot on. Um, his defense has basically been exact. His defense and base running have been exactly league average for both. Um, earlier on this season, I noticed that they were actually below average, which I was like, okay, probably just a weird fluctuation, and it's kind of evened out a bit. Um, but it looks like he's not going to quite post as good. He's not going to post a five and a half almost win season. It looks like he's going to settle more around the, the you know, three and a half, three and a half to four. Obviously, still a solidly above average player. Um, but it does kind of look like 2018 might have been, you know, his peak season, and that's a great season for anybody. Five wins. Yeah, and it seems like with they don't have a lot of outfield options like pushing through. Like it would be different if like Brett Phillips was really playing well and was in the big leagues, and Bubba Starling was already in center field and playing really well. And uh, you know, it looked like they had you know guys that were going to be here long term. Uh, but right now, I mean, the outfield situation is still pretty pretty fluid. So um, you know, he could kind of slot in there for now and 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 play the outfield and still be insurance at second base if Nicky Lopez really doesn't pan out. Uh, as he's had his struggles early on, and I, I do think I, I feel like you know they'll 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 move him if they are overwhelmed with the deal, and that's kind of what Dayton Moore said this week when he was ta- in, interviewed about it. And it's possible they get that kind of offer. I I think he will be a valuable uh, or a sought after trade asset at the deadline because he is a valuable leadoff hitter who gets on base a lot, can steal a base here here and then. Uh, and he can play, and it, really every team could use him because he can. He's so versatile. He can play outfield. He can play second base. I mean, there are t- teams out there. I mean, off the top of my head, I think the Cubs and and probably the Dodgers could both use a, a guy like that. Um, and so the, you could see teams give up quite a bit, or at least be willing to give up a lot. And I'm really curious if the Royals do have a, a really difficult choice they'll have to make uh, this July. I, I agree. I think with Jeremy that I don't think he's going to. I think he will be a Royal at the start of next year. I think. You know, barring a huge offer, um, he stays here. But um, it wouldn't totally surprise me to see him get get traded. Um, 
So it's kind of along those lines. Warden Eleven, who's uh, always in the comments section, uh, he wants to know if 2021, 2022 is the plan. Who are the must-trade players? And Sean, I guess we can start with you. Uh, must be traded. Um, if they're going to compete in 2021 or 2022. Um. Uh, okay. Uh, Jake Diekman. Um. Ian Kennedy. Yeah. Does anyone want that sixteen million dollar contract? And is David well, Glass can eat that money? Well, exactly. That's what I say. Someone will take them for free. Yeah. Um, and you're going to pay that money even if you don't, you know, whether you trade them or not. So what's the difference? Um, uh, yeah, Deakman, Kennedy. I'm trying to think of who else is there. Really kind of makes sense. Um, they're not getting anything from Aldenado. They're not going to get anything for Boxberger. Um, I don't know, man. That's a really tough question. I, I mean, realistically, they're, gonna get, they're not going to get that much for Deakman. I mean, you'll get a yeah. couple – Usefulish minor leaguers, but certainly yeah. probably not anyone that breaks the top thirty, maybe for yeah. the Royals prospect I, list. Right. Well, Duffy? I mean, yeah, Duff. I thought Duffy. I kind of proposed a, a kind of a random trade out uh, for, on Twitter. The Yankees um, for a couple there uh, for Gill and uh, Cabello um, or Cabello. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are just random low A guys that I really like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's okay. Sure, Duffy works, but you know, I'm not sure they're going to trade Duffy. And if they do trade him, I'm not sure they're going to get much. So I don't know, man. I don't know if there are any like must trade guys necessarily. That's a good question. Jeremy, what how do you about, think? How about Salvi? Do they need to trade him? Well, he'd have I mean, to get, they, he'd they have they to get healthy first right and establish his right. health, so you, which will take a whole year. And by then, he's next what, year. yeah, he's like a year away from free agency. So yeah. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm always of the school of the belief that trades are like probably the least important part, or at least trading veterans for prospects are like one of, is one of the least important parts of a rebuild because you usually don't get a whole lot of great players for. I mean, like, uh, I think the Astros actually got more good players just of like basic young player for young player trades than they did for from like trading off like some of their older veterans. Uh, and then every once in a while, you find a guy like the Cubs got Kyle Hendricks, uh, I think, in a trade for for Matt Garza. They they found Jake Arrieta in a really good deal. So you can find guys. I mean, and, and I think that's kind of the point is you you kind of buy as many lottery tickets as you can and, and see if one pans out. But you know, with what the Royals have, I don't know if you're really getting. Yeah, it's. I think lot. of the White Sox and trading yeah. Sale and um, that other left-hander. Uh, uh, they traded Adam Eaton, their outfielder, and got Adam Eaton also for him. Uh, uh, Jose um, so Quintana, they, Quintana, that's yeah. the one. So they got they got a bunch of good prospects for them, but those guys were all, especially Quintana and Sale, were really good. With, with a lot of traded. control, it was just left. that they had nothing to surround them with. Right, and the Royals, just, they don't have. If the Royals were going to have some must trades of really good guys that they didn't have enough people to surround them with, they needed to trade. Moose and Hosmer and Kane back in, in 2016 or 2017. We don't have those guys anymore. Now we just have retreads and 4A guys. There's no one that must be traded because there's no one that can get any value in a trade. Yeah. Well, there is. What Merrifield? Yeah. Well, because, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, they, already, they already kind of – they. Got rid of his uh, a lot of his value by not trading him and by giving him the long term deal. So yeah, and I mean, Moore said on that exact same interview I was talking about earlier. He said um, it would take I forget the word he used a substantial 
package, maybe some something along those lines. And you know, no one does random Excel spreadsheet player valuations as much as I do. And <laughs> I understand that there's a difference between what I put on an Excel spreadsheet and what really happens. And yeah, I mean, I could type out numbers and have Merrifield be worth a hundred million in surplus value, which gets you wander franco from the rays um or vlad jr but nobody's going to give that up so so there is some realism that it's like if you're expecting some and i don't know what he means by substantial um but assuming he means like actually going to get his value that's not going to happen um just as mike trout's never going to be paid for what he's worth um there's a there's a ceiling on these numbers uh in in real life and so uh, it just seems like he's never going to get the package he wants to get from Merrifield. So, uh, you know, go buy a house in Kansas City. Win. So if he if he trades Merrifield for anyone but Vlad Jr., we should be upset now. Nah, yeah, I mean, that's fair. No, um, I mean, like, if tomorrow, you know, John, John not John Hammond, uh, I didn't mean to say his name, Ken Rosenthal, let's go for a real um, baseball an analyst. Um, if, you know, if tomorrow Ken Rosenthal said, oh, hey, the Royals are, going to, are trading Merrifield for Brendan McKay, who I tweeted out um, for the Rays. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, doesn't kill the Rays necessarily. Gets them a top 10 to top 20 prospect in baseball. and makes sense. Um, exactly the Rays type. And, you know, it's not a, a gigantic name like a Juan Soto or something. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think we'd be happy to move him, but it's just not happening. This comes from Michael. He goes on Twitter as Ye Old Millennial. He wants to know what team does the best at promoting their prospects to the big leagues and give them a chance to succeed. In other words, what team does well at avoiding major league veterans blocking younger uh, organization guys? And and uh, Sean, maybe I'll let you answer just a minute. I I have an answer for that one, and I have long thought this is the St. Louis Cardinals uh, yeah. because I think they just do a great job just turning out. And they they for a long time they just didn't even have a highly ranked farm system. But it seemed like they just were great at development and just giving guys a chance and an opportunity. And if you look at their team now, I mean, they've got Yadier Molina, homegrown guy, Matt Carpenter, homegrown guy, uh, Colton Wong, homegrown, uh, Harrison Bader, homegrown. Uh, Jose Martinez is not homegrown, but he's a guy that was available for nothing and they gave a chance to. Um, you know, Dakota Hudson, Jack Flaherty, Michael Waka is not playing well, but, you know, he's had some good seasons. Jordan Hicks. Uh, and then even guys like Miles Mikolas. Um, uh, was a guy a cheap free agent so you know they do occasionally splurge like Paul Goldschmidt or Marcelo Zuna but it seems like they feel like like to fill a lot of that team with kind of homegrown guys that have come up through the system or are kind of young guys that they've acquired from other organizations who didn't um, you know kind of fell out of favor and give those guys a shot so I they've I've long admired that organization for their ability yeah. to do that well yeah Paul DeYoung's a good chance he's fifth in in baseball in war right. and came out of nowhere matt carpenter i mean exactly um the yankees are pro i think the yankees so i think the yankees and astros are the two best development teams in baseball um the astros do a pretty good job i mean they part of it is because they have so many freaking guys they can call up that it doesn't really matter who they call up um jordana alvarez gets called up hits four home runs in five games and you know looks like one of the best hitters in baseball uh but yeah, I think the Astros and Yankees are the two best at development. They the Yankees are awful. It sounds seems like Brett Gardner's been 
been a corpse for for like in that lineup for five years essentially and yet they still keep running them out um so i think they you know they just they just literally acquired Encarnacion to go send down frazier so the yankees develop well they don't doesn't seem like they're good at getting out of their own way um there's no there's no uh, patience there because they need to win like yeah. every every week they need to win exactly and just, like like clint frazier just a perfect example of like you know just stick him out in left field or dh and let him play every yeah. day and it's like they keep jerking him around yeah, um, the the Astros do a good job, like I was saying. Uh, the Braves do. The Braves basically committed to all their young guys this year, which is great. Um, the Dodgers, with for, like Verdugo, I think is a good example, or, or Bellinger, uh, guys that they had a super crowded outfield with you know unlimited amount of names out there, but they still found time for Bellinger. They found time for Verdugo. Um, I think those are the main ones I can think of. Uh, maybe the A's. The A's don't. I, I always think the A's are a little overrated in the development department. They're a little better in the finding value department. Um, but I think they do an okay job. Um, yeah, that might be about it. Uh, I'd probably say the Rays as well too. I mean, the Rays. I mean, that yeah. comes out of just yeah, I was going to say the frugality, Rays. but well, the Rays kind of get stuck a bit. Yeah, like you were saying, the frugality. That's the issue. Is that the Rays like they they have to go find those cheap like G-Man Choi types. Uh, and so that does, I think, hurts them a little bit because, like, that's the only way for them to feel the roster is go to try, just like the A's. They try to find those kind of value guys. So I think they sometimes step on their own feet by doing that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, great development too, obviously. How about the Pirates? They seem to do a fairly good job of not, of, of at least fielding a, a mediocre roster from their prospects. Or from and then they had to go guys. and reverse reverse course and go trade for Chris Archer. Yeah, <laughs> giving up two really good prospects, and, and it just seems like they're kind of. It seems like they've been stuck at at eighty wins for for some yeah. years. But yeah, I think they are. But I think they're good at it. But it's also a little bit out of frugality of like we need to kind of yeah. save cut costs. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's that's decent ish. They they for for whatever whatever reason they had zero interest in ever playing Austin Meadows. Um, and look what happens—he goes to the Rays and he's ridiculous. So you know, I think sometimes they same thing that frugality. Yeah, I think it gets in gets in their way. Uh, ZD Huffton wants to know who's your candidate for unlikely call up. We'll see at some point this year. We we need like a name for this. Like the, I don't know if it's the Onelki Garcia Award or the. Uh, uh, Eduardo Viesis Award for some of your older fans remember the uh, Ed, Eduardo the ill-fated Eduardo Viesis uh, outing in, in Yankee Stadium. But who's kind of the guy that is not really on anyone's radar that's going to get a call up some point, make some random start against Toronto, give up six runs and in three innings, and we never hear from him again? Sean, you're the you're the unlikely prospect. Uh, so uh, um, God dang it! I always forget his name. Not Gerson Garabito. Who's the guy that I couldn't think of the other game? He he replaced Onelki Garcia, and he was just as bad in that Twins game. Arnaldo Arnaldo Hernandez? No, no. no. Uh, oh, I know who you're talking about, and I can't think of his name either now. God, I, I can picture his face. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, Machado, Andres Machado. Yeah, Machado. Yeah, that's yeah. who I think the Andres Machado award. Is um, he still on the forty man roster? He, he's he got no, he got non tendered last year. I yeah, believe. yeah. So uh, let's see, random guy to get called. Um, Foster Griffin, maybe not random, but Foster Griffin. Might be one. About him, that yeah. was going to be my pick. Oh, uh, then 
trying to think. Arnaldo not... Hernandez is on the 40-man roster. I don't even know. Who is Arnaldo Hernandez? So uh, he's a guy that's kind of – they. There yeah. sometimes are guys that just like put it every single level to like fill in when they needed a pitcher, and that was kind of that was kind of an Arnaldo 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 Hernandez the last year or two, but apparently his velocity increased a little bit, so he's got pretty good stuff. It just really hasn't translated into much in results. Like he, I think he got hammered in Omaha to begin the year, and he got demoted to Double yeah. A where he's pitched a little bit better. But uh, he he seems like he's a candidate to get taken off the forty man pretty soon. Is Gerson Garabito on the 40-man? I yeah. thought he is. Okay, I don't know why I thought he was. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's it. Oh, shoot, you know what? While I'm at it, let me just look at the 40-man. Because, um, yeah, that Kobe is... Gutierrez was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah, a little bit. I know it's already happened, but... Well, especially when they already had Cuthbert um, on the 40-man at the time, too. What about uh, uh, Connor Green? Cuthbert He's wasn't a... on the 40-man then, was he? Who, Cuthbert? Yeah, he I thought they, they just had to add him. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'll go with Connor Green just because he is on the 40-man roster. They picked him up from the Cardinals. I think he may have worked with Cal Eldred in the Cardinals organization a little bit, uh, or at least they were both in the organization at the same time. His ERA isn't great in AA right now. He's given up a lot of unearned runs as well, but he has struck guys out. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're like, you know what, let's try And he's starting for the natural. So it wouldn't surprise me if they said, hey, you know what, just go to the bullpen Let's try you out as reliever. Maybe get a velocity bump from you, and, and see if you can, you know, see if we got anything with, from you as a as a waiver claim from the Cardinals. So I, that's yeah. going to be my random. He gets a outing in August. Guy. I wouldn't call him random, but Scott Blewett um, okay. could be one. There that's was some not hype that... about him in spring training. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Let's say he's not a non prospect, but he's kind of low on the totem pole. Um, yeah, I think Foster Griffin, Scott Blewett, maybe Ash Russell this whole time has been working on stuff. <laughs> he gets caught. Oh, I, don't uh, know. I feel uh, bad for him. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. Uh, he does have a couple million dollars of bonus, but still, that's going to be <laughs> tough, tough setbacks. Yeah. Uh, how about yeah. uh, Junior Marte, double-A uh, pitcher? Yeah. Uh, I've always kind of liked him. Uh, he's got a, a sub-two ERA in northwest Arkansas, striking out over a guy, a hitter per inning. Um, not on the 40-man roster, always been under the radar, but he's only 24. Um, I feel like he's going to get moved up to Omaha before too long. And if he does well at Omaha, I mean, he could be, he could be like the next Jake Newberry, like just getting a chance because we have no one better. Yeah. I don't think Stalmont's not random, but Stalmont could be one. He's already in triple a, he's already 25. Um, I don't know. He's already got half the fan base demanding he be promoted (laughs) and start opening games. Yeah. And then there's you, Chase Velo, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, let's not. I We, we need to keep That would be the least time. random promotion of all time. <laughs> no, he's, he needs to be I can't believe he's not here time. now. Yeah, we don't want to play that game. You don't want to start his clock because once you start his clock, I mean, you're going <laughs> to Once he hits free agency, you're, oh, man. You're talking about multi-MVPs. Uh, we'll kind of wrap things up with kind of similar questions. One's from Cyclone Tim. He wants to know when are ticket prices going to go back down? And Sharon Dell kind of has the same question: Why haven't the Royals lowered their parking lot ticket uh, price, parking lot prices during this rebuild? Jeremy, why is it still so expensive to go to a Royals game when they are so 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 bad? And you know, we've seen other teams do some promos to kind of you know because attendance is hurting a little bit around baseball. Why are Royals prices so high? Uh 
That's a really good question. Can I? Can I? Can you tag me in? Yeah. Can I? Yeah. Let me tag Sean in on this one. Um. So I thought about this one today when you sent the questions. Um. Yeah. Spoiler alert. We already knew the question. Sorry, uh, everyone. Um. So two things are well, basically ticket prices are a function of two things. Uh. One's uh, is inflation. Um. If you look at the history of ticket prices, uh, all dating back to even you know the eighties, um, when kind of that that information was kind of kept prices have done nothing go up and that's just kind of keeping pace with inflation effectively um the other thing as well um is going to be a function of just supply and demand um prices for anything are always going to be you know a balance between you know how many people want it and what's the maximum amount we can charge before it would draw people away from attending the game um, obviously, attendance and debt is down for the Royals, but most of that is just a function of them being pl- a plane. Um, I don't think I don't think there's any sort of balance between like hundred loss team and ticket prices uh, necessarily. I mean, maybe you'll see a small bump to get people out. I mean, a small drop to get people out, but it's not going to be like oh, ticket prices are five bucks now. Um, so that's the two things: is just kind of keeping up with inflation. You could see it with movie price tickets. You can see it with any kind of event tickets, um, and then. You know, teams are always going to charge the max amount as they can. That doesn't deter uh, people showing up. And, um, yeah, I, that's what I thought about today. I also wonder, too, like, how much teams really rely on gate revenues at this point. Like, most of, TV, oh, yeah. most of their money comes from TV. Yeah. And, yeah, it can make a difference whether they get, you know, 35,000 fans a game or 15,000. But when you have a team that's bad, realistically, like – you know, you're, there's only a small, you know, variance that you can get in revenues, um, and lowering prices isn't really gonna, you know, get more people in, into the gate. I mean, I know a lot of people that if you gave them free Royals tickets, they would not go to the game. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think there are some promotions, like like I said, other teams are doing, where like offering five dollars seats, you know, the upper level to like kids, you know, and then parents can bring their kids, and you know, you're gonna get your money back when they spend money on drinks and, and, and hot dogs and, and buying them baseball cards at the store or t-shirt, whatever. I mean, we we always say we're not going to buy anything in the game. We end up buying, you know, a couple things for the kids just to keep them occupied while so we can watch the game. So, there are things teams can do out there, and I do think they should probably, you know, cut our people a little bit more of a break. Are, I feel like they're doing that, though, aren't they? I, I feel like I've seen some, some pretty steep discounts offered you know, limited time offer things. Yeah, there's been some, like, yeah. flash sales I've seen. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe you just have to and, seek those out more. Uh, I, I think that might be their approach instead of of cutting the ticket prices is let's offer more flash sales. Mm-hmm. Because if you cut the, the ticket prices, then you can only raise them so much next year without people going, well, that's just – you just completely uh, – highway robbery kind of situation. So if you leave the ticket prices where they are and say, oh, here's a sale – then maybe people are more likely. And I'm also reminded of a, a story I read about one of the department stores. I think it was JC Penney tried to do for a while something where they didn't do sales. They just did like the correct retail price instead of marking everything up in sale oh, amounts. Yeah. And no one wanted to buy from them. <laughs> so they had to go back to doing the model where they marked it up crazy and then gave, said it's a sale and yeah. marked it back down to where it should have been in the first place. Yeah. We got. I got an email on... What, I can't tell what day this is. I got an email. Oh, on Thursday, last Thursday, June 13th, for $5 tickets uh, for view-level seats. 
if you order by Wednesday, June 19th. Um, so they gave you six days in advance for $5 view level tickets um, for all remaining home games. Now, I don't know if that's saying it's going to, it's a season ticket package or if it's per um, game, you could do that. Um, but I mean, yeah, it looks like they did kind of do that flash sale, but you know, it was the cheap seats. I don't know what view level tickets cost you anyways. I don't know if they're 13 bucks or something, but um, yeah, you know. I would say the Royals aren't, I mean, they're they're expensive. Just but everything's expensive these days. I mean, yeah. going to the movies is expensive. Going to any baseball game is expensive, and um, so it's it's relative terms. It's actually not crazy expensive. I mean, they have that dynamic pricing, so some games are more yeah. expensive than others. But someone had a ridiculous. Was it the Twins? Someone had like a thirty dollars for a whole month or something of unlimited X. I think it was the Twins. Well, the Cardinals. But... The Cardinals had some sort of stadium pass. It was kind of like the movie pass concept where like Oh yeah. yeah. You go to as, as many games as you wanted for a month as long as yeah. you pay the, the subscription price. So but I don't sharp. think I've seen that this year. I don't know if that's they're still running that. Well, and I don't know didn't the Royals do the hit or home run at Kaufman and you get free season tickets? Was that the Royals yeah. that did that? Yeah, yeah right. they did. But it was it was did for season, hit it was already run? for people that already had season tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Yeah, someone hit one. I, yeah. I think two people hit him actually. Yeah, well, he had a guy hit it for him. I think you're allowed. Oh to yeah, he got it revoked. That's surrogate. right. <laughs> you're yeah, allowed yeah. to have a surrogate hit it for you. So yeah, that's yeah. right. They found out. Yeah, yeah. Not not me. So <laughs> do they? Do these people know they don't? I mean, Google exists, and uh, every single college team has a team page of all their players. I that'd have been so easy to to realize that, but. <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks for the uh, thanks for all the wonderful questions, uh, and we will have to do this again sometime. Maybe get some more questions in there. But always great to hear from the the, the wonderful readers at Royals Review, and uh, and thanks again. And that'll kind of do it for us tonight. Uh, I want to thank Jeremy and Sean for being on tonight. And Sean, I won't put you on the spot. I'll just end it uh, by saying thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey!